Everybody and welcome to episode 18. That is one eight of the fear of God. We are so happy to have you listening with us. And in the words of Harry Potter and in the spirit of the season, happy Christmas to all of you listeners out there. Um, this is Nathan Rouse. Typically with me is co-host and dear long friend Reed Lackey, but um, someone fed him after midnight last night. They weren't paying attention to the time and they fed him. And now he is rampaging through the streets of Southern California, just causing all sorts of bedlam, creating all this mayhem for, you know, this small town American. So just kidding, Reed. There you are, buddy. How are you? Turns out, (laughs) (laughs) turns out the, uh, the bright light will get you, but you did not eat after midnight last night. (laughs) I think I probably did. I just, I just didn't turn into the, the gremlin. Well, you kind of live that way, don't you? I mean, that's I just... do. I tend to be a midnight snacker on a, <laughs> right. On a regular oh, I meant, I meant lived as a gremlin. I didn't mean midnight <laughs> snacking, but, but either way, you know, whatever. Um, both work. So, uh, happy Christmas to you, Reed. Happy Christmas to you, Nathan. Although I guess, I guess in thankfully we now can actually say Merry Christmas again. <laughs> um, so that is, you know, for everyone, who was so, you know, lived under the iron thumb of a society that wouldn't let you do that. <laughs> oh my we now can, we now can do that again. That's so, so funny. Uh, Merry Christmas to you. Happy Christmas to you. Happy holidays. Happy Hanukkah. Happy Kwanzaa to anyone out there who celebrates any sort of holiday during this season. We wish you a happy that. Yes. Do we not read? Happy, yes. happy all of everything. Um, happy, happy those. You know, it's really funny because I never really, I have never really encountered in real life, someone who got upset or offended by any iteration of that. Like, like you say Merry Christmas to somebody, they usually say thank you. Or I have had a couple of people very politely point out to me, say, oh, well, I'm, I'm Jewish, but thank you for the sentiment anyway. And, th- and they weren't being like a jerk about it or anything. They were just, you know, like they were acknowledging that what I was simply wishing them was for them to have a good time <laughs> with whatever they were doing. You mean until a month ago, the... Holiday Gestapo wouldn't come to your door and take you away if you said Merry Christmas to somebody. You didn't find that that, no, that happened to you because no, I thought not to I me. thought that was kind of what the deal was. It like, happened to my second cousin twice removed on my <laughs> on my uncle's side. But well, yeah. he's now three times removed, you know, because he's no longer, <laughs> you know, no longer out there. That's true. He would, maybe they'll release him now. Maybe they'll release yeah, him now. Yeah, now that uh, now that we now that Christmas is once again safe to roam the streets. Oh. <laughs> of suburbia. Jesus help us. Oh man. We need we need to jump off of that bandwagon cuz I could really go to town. Um <laughs> so <laughs> no kidding. Oh. I'll use a pejorative language. Um so how are you doing, man? I'm doing pretty well. Um obviously we're we're recording this uh it's it's funny because we're actually recording this just following the Thanksgiving holiday. 
Um, well, see, I'm going to stop you there. That was not obvious to our listeners, and you just revealed one of our secrets. I thought it was just Christmas. It was Christmas, and we were celebrating Christmas. Well, and now, you just yeah. Well, it's a, it, our listeners have now come to expect a certain time travel <laughs> element to to the fear of God. Um, but you know, like uh, all of that to say, like immediately the festivities begin once once Thanksgiving sure. holidays are over. Uh, then it's immediately you know the decorations go up and and the festivities are are a plenty and there's Christmas music on the radio and everything it's it's a very it's a very happy time christmas like we had mentioned i think in an earlier episode actually for our halloween episode halloween is my favorite single holiday but if these two distinctions can be accepted i think christmas is is my favorite season so like christmas day and christmas eve themselves don't quite beat halloween night for me but the season of Christmas is a very special time for me, and I and I really get a lot of joy and enjoyment about it. It's um, now are it's you really nice? Are you one of these? I don't think you are, but I know there are people who are. Are you sort of resentful when people decorate before Thanksgiving? Are you one of those people? Do you care? What What are your thoughts on that? No, I mean I understand when people complain, like, "Hey, let us have our Thanksgiving." Like I understand, um, but and occasionally I'll roll my eyes if they start playing Christmas music, you know, on August thirtieth. But it, you know, basically if they if it creeps in, you know, really early, I'll kind of roll my eyes and be like, "Geez," you know. But I just understand that. Okay, we're getting started early. This is just kind of what it is. I don't I don't really make a fuss about it, but I definitely don't, you know, get on somebody's case for like, hey, no, you celebrate Thanksgiving. Be thankful. Then you can be Christmassy. No. Like I feel I feel like those things can coexist happily. Absolutely. We decorated right before Thanksgiving, so we're we're in that boat. Oh, so you set me up because had I said, Oh yeah, that's ridiculous and gone off on you, <laughs> then then you would have had to either just lie yeah. to me or make me feel like a real jerk for having Well, for what it's worth, I would not have lied to you. So between those two options, <laughs> lying would not have been the course of action that's I would so take. Oh my god. In the spirit of that, in the spirit of that, Reed, so we're gonna get to our movie, which you know, I referenced earlier in terms of your behavior and it's going to be, it's a wonder, it's a wonderful life is the movie we're discussing. <laughs> I'm just kidding, but I am curious. Um, I'm, and I may have just, I may have just, uh, accidentally stolen an answer from you here. So it's Christmas time. At least this is being broadcast at Christmas. Well, it's Christmas time right now. Sure. You know, it's after Thanksgiving. It's Christmas time. We are talking about a sort of sideways Christmas movie tonight. Uh, today, whenever it is that you listener are listening to this, um, read what are, I'm curious, what are one and or a couple of favorite Christmas movies of yours? Like oh, what, man. what do you, what do you invariably break out this time of year? Make sure you kind of watch, um, what, what, what tops the list for you? Well, um, I'll just mention three really briefly. I mean, there's an, there's an annual viewing and we make a big deal about Charlie Brown Christmas. That happens every single year. Sure. So especially since Sawyer's been born, uh, even when he was too young to really register it, we always make a big deal out of Charlie Brown Christmas. It's a Wonderful Life. You jokingly referenced it, but It's a Wonderful Life is actually my second favorite movie ever. Um, my, my favorite movie, as listeners will probably know by now, is The Exorcist. And my second favorite movie is It's a Wonderful Life. If you can figure out why those two place the way that they do, then you can figure me out as a person. You need so much therapy. <laughs> but It's a Wonderful <laughs> Life is a very, very special and important film to me. It has become more so as I've gotten older and as I've, as I've had a family and just sort of, you know, entered into more of the day-to-day -day working life than I did when I was younger. Um, some of the themes of what it's playing with 
mean a lot more to me. So that's obviously a, a perennial favorite. And Christmas is a, a good excuse to watch that, although I don't necessarily think that it's specifically needs to be a Christmas film. It just happens to take place at Christmas. And the third one that I'll mention, although the movie that I'm going to mention is just one of a multitude, probably countless multitude of versions of this, but um, A Christmas Carol, the version specifically starring George C. Scott from 1984, happens almost every year, if not every year, uh, for me because I, I grew up watching that film. I love that film. A Christmas Carol is my favorite book. And, uh, oh, I'm sorry. Excuse me, listeners. Besides the Bible. You don't have to, you don't have to backpedal. <laughs> we're all friends. We're all friends here. No, you know? sincerely. I've, uh, we can handle your heresy. I understand. I understand. Um, but sincerely, Christmas Carol is, is my favorite book ever written by anybody. I, I, I love that book so much. And I came to realize that that was my favorite. I used to say something wicked this way comes was my favorite book, but I came to realize it would probably have to be Christmas Carol because every year I absorb at least two or three different versions of that story, whether it be through like a radio drama or something that's come on TV, one of the multitude of film versions or actually sitting and reading the book, which I used to make that this tradition has gone to the wayside uh, with family and plans and just, you know, scheduling difficulties. But I used to make it a tradition at least once every Christmas season to sit by the Christmas tree and cover to cover, sit and read A Christmas Carol in one sitting. Um, usually took me about three to three and a half hours. And, uh, that used to be a, a perennial tradition, but, um, but I still absorb that story in some form, uh, many, many times throughout the holiday season. I love A Christmas Carol so much. Never get tired of it. You know, I, I, somehow I thought It's a Wonderful Life would pop up in there for you. And I think you and I've had this conversation before. Um, I've actually never seen that, ashamedly. Mm. And I think I may remit, I think I may remedy that. Uh, this, this holiday season. Oh man, please let me know what you think of it when you do. Keeping in mind it's my second favorite movie, you know, no pressure on liking it, but. I know, no, it's got a, it's got a lot to live up to. That's a high bar. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, for me personally, uh, in terms of favorite Christmas movies, I don't think either of them are, are, are one better than the other as much as I just hold them in high esteem. One would be one I grew up with that, I try so hard to make my wife and kids love and my kids are getting into it some, but you know, I think you had to catch it at a certain time, but that's a uh, Emmett Otter's jug band Christmas. Oh, I love that by Jim Henson and you know, mad props to the original Emmett Otter, which any listener worth their Emmett Otter fandom might know that subsequent, this is weird. I think you and I have talked about this before, but there's an, a, the most previous edition of Emmett Otter, strangely enough, omits a couple of scenes. You know, one is, well, specifically the original version of the movie had Kermit the Frog peppered throughout. Yeah. Um, but because of the Muppets ownership by Disney, you know, the, the most recent version of they've cut out for various copyright reasons, which is really silly, strange and unfortunate. And one of the best jokes in the whole movie, which is when Ma Otter tells Hattie Fox to jump off the dock, um, is not present. And that's, that's deeply disappointing to me. Yeah. Um, so that would be one, uh, believe it or not, it wouldn't, I don't know that most people would, uh, ostensibly consider this a Christmas movie, but one that I actually try to get out. Um, it doesn't happen every year, but it kind of, this is going to sound, well, you know, your favorite movie of all time is The Exorcist. So we can, we're, and, and we're hosting a show called The Fear of God about horror stuff. So this can be a little macabre, uh, perhaps in perception. That's Children of Men. 
Oh, just, you know, the, the illegitimate child that's the hope of this world and, and the, the father figure who's escorting these two across perilous journeys. I mean, I, I, any sort of top five movies for me of all time, uh, that one would fall squarely into that category. But I don't know. Strangely enough, it, it, is that weird that that movie uh, speaks to me as a Christmas movie? No, I don't think. And I, what's funny is I don't think it's weird. I also don't think, although I would be pressed at the moment to to remember where, I think I've seen that referenced as, you know, there's plenty of lists if you just Google, hey, what's your favorite non-Christmas Christmas movie? And you're going to see uh-huh. the film we're talking about. You're going to see Die Hard. You're going to see a few of those films that just happen to take place. Batman Returns that takes place at Christmas that's not necessarily a Christmas movie. I remember seeing a couple of lists on the recent side that include Children of Men in that list. And it made me wonder, because I, I, I love that film. That film's a, a top 20 film for me. And I, I think that film is something that I can't remember. Does it take place at Christmas or is it purely thematic that links it for you? I think it's purely thematic. Okay. I mean, there's very little sort of, to my recollection, again, it's been a couple of years since I sat down uh, and watched it beginning to end. But to my recollection, there's not a... Um, a time frame associated with, you know, there's not like a season that's associated with the events of the movie, though I could be misremembering that. I think you're right. And that was what puzzled me about seeing it show up in this list that, you know, that it was a kind of a, a great non-Christmas Christmas movie, but it must have been the same thing, a thematic link. All of that to validate that I totally think that's that's an appropriate choice for a, a, a particularly given the theme, uh, even on a, that film speaks to me as I'm sure it does you, uh, even on a spiritual level. If it were, if it right. were remotely a horror film, um, you know, I could, could easily see us doing an episode about it, you know, kind of doing a mini episode on it right now. But honestly, that, that is a, a really beautiful and brilliant film that speaks volumes to me about a number of things. So I, yeah, I definitely resonate with that. Speaking of non Christmas Christmas movies, shall we, shall we dive in? Let's, uh, let's, let's go right in. I got my water here. I've got my sunlight. I've got lots of snacks and I'm waiting for it to click over midnight. So we're, we're, yeah. we're ready. You're we're good, good to, to go. go. You're good to go. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. I'm going to dim the lights here because, you know, they just, they mess with me a bit. Um, <laughs> but so yes, today, today we are talking about, uh, gremlins. You had offered this as our Christmas film a number of months ago and. You know, here we are talking about it. So, you know, I, I have definite recollection of having seen this as a youngster, but I can't recall adulthood having watched it. Um, again, I do remember playing either the first or second movie had a Nintendo game associated with it. Oh, wow. Playing, I remember playing that, which would have been, you know, 11, 12 years old. Um, but yeah, you know, it's been forever since I'd watched it. I did rewatch it last night. What about you? Have, is this a, you know, occasional get it out kind of movie or, or not quite as routine? No, it's pretty occasional. I definitely wouldn't call it routine, but, but I would say once every, I, I would say not longer than three or four years goes by without another viewing of it. I, I really enjoy it a sizable amount. It was a, my earliest encounter with it was actually not having seen the film, Listeners may remember this if you're in your 30s, particularly in your late 30s. Uh, in the 80s, they had this, these things. I think they used to sell at like McDonald's or at least at like fast food restaurant chains 
where you would receive as your like prize, you would receive a book that was a very, very brief adaptation of a film, a major film. And with it, there would also be an audio cassette that was like a, a, a narration of that book that you were reading. And, uh, I had the gremlins one. I do not know where it has gone. Uh, it, it's disappeared somewhere in moving and, and just transmitting locations and everything. But I remember I had the gremlins one. I remember there was one for the temple of doom, Indiana Jones and the temple of doom. Um, so there was, there were a few that I remember collecting when I was a little kid. And I remember I had the gremlins one. That was actually my first encounter with the story was hearing this, this narrated audio version with a little book that you could read through. And, um, and I think they still make those. They're just not as prominent or prevalent. Like Sawyer has a couple. Um, Sawyer's got one with Inside Out that has an audio recording. Of course, it's a CD now rather than a, a cassette tape. But, um, I, I know they, they still do make them occasionally. They're just not as prominent as they felt like they were in the eighties. But then later when I saw the film, uh, of course, I was very affectionate for it. It's got that sweet spot for me where it's almost as funny as it is frightening. It's not really that frightening. Like the, the film itself doesn't really have any sort of not that many sort of scary moments, if you will. But uh, the sort of the niche that I really get very excited about is when a film can do comedy well and do horror well. Uh, that's when I really get excited. Those are my favorite uh, types of things to just watch. Every so often, uh, I, I love well, it's, them. It's, I think it's funny that you mentioned Temple of Doom because it, it's either Temple of Doom or Raiders. I was doing some Wikipedia <clears throat> sleuthing after watching it last night and I knew that I think I knew Indiana Jones as part of this conversation. I didn't realize Gremlins was the push the boulder over the hill and that's for the PG 13 rating. Exactly. You know, this, the, the MPAA did not have PG 13 prior to Gremlins. And again, it might've been Temple of Doom. I, I'm not, I don't have that chronology in front of me, but Temple of Doom or whichever Indiana Jones it was started that conversation. Gremlins really pressed hard on that conversation to the point that Spielberg proposed will make an in-between of PG and R. Um, and two months after Gremlins debuted, is when PG-13 came into existence, Yep, um, which I think is pretty fascinating. A couple of fun little bullet points. Uh, I did notice this without having to Wikipedia it. Did you notice the an, an executive producer on Gremlins is Kathleen Kennedy? Do you know who Kathleen Kennedy is? Uh, Does that name mean anything to you? The name rings a bell, but I'm, I'm not associating it. Correctly. Kathleen Kennedy right now in 2016 is the CEO of Lucasfilm. Oh, she is really? Inherited, yeah. When when Disney bought Lucasfilm and George Lucas retired, she is now wow. the top dog at Lucasfilm. Wow. So it's funny you watch these kind of 80s and 90s. I've seen her name other places too on older movies, maybe even some we've watched for the show. But it's funny, like man, she 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 definitely uh, earned her bona fides. Um, wow, that's impressive. So that was just a that was a, that was a fun kind of you know as we usually do on the show talking about just some surface level kind of stuff. I'll fire some. I don't know if you got any, but my, what I wrote, the note I took was who would have brought their dog to work at the bank anyway? <laughs> it's so like, what a, what? Like, yeah, th this is those moments where sort of like when we watch the fog and Jamie Lee Curtis hitches a ride and that's not the scary part. It's like, okay, I guess these things are just eighties tropes, you know, like, 
I really, are we allowed in the eighties to have like, was that a thing bringing your dog and just <laughs> leashing him under your teller window <laughs> who then can easily untether himself and attack the old lady. And attack who, Mrs. Deagle. The bank. Yeah. Right. Right. I just, I don't know. I love that. I have to mention on that moment, it stuck out to me for the very first time in this viewing, uh, the connection that Miss Deagle, when she comes in there, she reminds me so much with what she's trying to do, with what she's threatening Billy and, and the dog with. Uh, she reminds me so much of Mrs. Gulch from Wizard of Oz, where she's like, you know, like, I'm going to get, I'm going to get That's that hilarious. dog. Yeah. Yeah. You know? I totally thought that watching that. It's, it was funny. And this was the first viewing. Like I said, I've seen this movie several times, but this was the first viewing where that connection was prominent to me. I was like, wow, this is totally Mrs. Gulch from the, from the opening of the Wizard of Oz. It, it almost makes you wonder if that was because, I mean, it's very on the nose. Oh, extremely. Like, yeah. I mean, even just her mannerisms and sort of vocalizations in that character really seems to echo that. And I don't know if that was just as an actor, her making that choice or if that's just us sort of uh, overlapping that onto her performance. I don't know. I don't know. I have a feeling. So, so I, I love Joe Dante as a director and obviously Spielberg having produced this, that team together, they, they peppered so many things throughout this film that are throwbacks to, to classic films. I mean, you have clips from It's a Wonderful Life. You have clips from Invasion of the Body Snatchers. You have clips from an old Red Skelton TV show. I have to believe, although I couldn't verify it anywhere, I have to believe that that call out or the, 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 similarity between Mrs. Deagle's exchange with Billy in the bank and Mrs. Gulch's exchange with uh, Annie M right, in, in right. Wizard of Oz. That has to be intentional. I mean, if it's not, it is, it, it's definitely ringing from some inspiration that they watched Wizard of Oz as a child because it is so similar to that. I, I have to imagine it's either directly intentional or it was unintentionally inspired by that moment. It had to be. Another fun bullet <clears throat> that I thought about watching this was you know, one of the rules of the gremlins is that you don't feed them after midnight. And, and my note was, so until when? Like, like, <laughs> you know, like, it's not like now between the hours of midnight and 5 a.m., be sure you don't feed them. It's like, don't feed them after midnight. Like, oh, okay. So when can I feed them? <laughs> and how does daylight savings play into this whole, into this whole thing? Because <laughs> that's, that's the worst. Yes. <laughs> because like, Oh no, I forgot it was November. Oh, what and what doing? if, and what if you're, what if you change time zones? Yeah. You know, what if you're driving with them across the country and now suddenly you're like, Oh, wait a minute, <laughs> eat the chicken uh -oh. fast. We're, we're approaching the border. <laughs> you know, like it's, I mean, it is, it is kind of silly. We'll get, when we get into themes, I have a couple of thoughts about those rules specifically, but I know I, I think it's so silly. The there's this some there's this signifier. What about 11:59? What about 11:59? They've right. got a piece of food stuck in their teeth, and then that you know 12:01 that piece of food goes down goes down the old windpipe. What? Oh, are we all just are we all just messed up now? Is that the problem? <laughs> right, uh, right. Oh man, you could go. Well, so I, many love, ways. I love how uh, in the scene immediately preceding Billy feeding the uh, the rogue Mogwai is the is the scientist at the high school you know, oh right right teacher well if you look in the background his clock registers 2 a.m oh my gosh and then it and then it cuts to billy thinking it's 11 30 i'm like come on man <laughs> you know like like i would have bought like 45 minutes but it's like a two and a half hours after you know when he thought it was it's like seriously it's great. let's feed him in the days before red bull right <laughs> to your point about um 
you know, consequences. I love how it's like, you know, don't expose them to bright light. Okay. Yeah. That, that hurts the Mogwai. Okay. You know, that's, that's all right. That's fine. It's sort of like, don't feed your dog from the table. You're going to develop a bad habit. Okay. This is a good suggestion just to have. You're going to harm this creature. Well, then don't get them wet. Okay. Well, clearly that has, depending on who you are and the, you know, the square footage of your home, that's going to have an adverse effect on how many of these things you can sustain. Yeah. Although I do love how it's like, just don't get them wet. Like water isn't everywhere in our world, you know, <laughs> just, just whatever. Like, exactly. What, what if, what if they play in the mud in the backyard? Then you're just screwed. Like, yeah, there's nothing you can do. That's a stinky mogwai. But I love how the third, <laughs> the, the third rule of don't feed them after midnight. It's not like the other two, but it's lumped in with the other two. It's like, these three things, if you abide these three things, you're going to be good. They don't caveat that third rule with like, by the way, if you do, if they eat after you are screwed, <laughs> like you and your friends and your family and your town, like potentially <laughs> your county, maybe your state, it could get nasty, ugly, real quick, real fast. Just do not do that. Like these other two should yeah. just be like, hey, you know, take care of this mogwai. Don't expose the bright light. Don't get it wet. Okay, cool. Now this other thing that you don't even list that under the same list. No, like, no. That is the, that's like the red button in the cabin in the woods. Yeah. You know? Like this is what, why did, why did you not tell me? My gosh. Why did you just throw it in with like, don't eat after before you too early before you get in the pool? You know, this right. is like, this is not just a li- a casual life piece of, you know, <laughs> old wives tales wisdom. Like, Oh, well, no, it's you know, true. don't, you know, if you're feeling your knees hurt, that means the weather's coming. <laughs> like, well, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Like the difference in consequence between bright lights and eating after midnight is, is night and day. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's true. And of course, as we've already pointed out, the don't eat after midnight is the most nebulous of, of rules to, to <laughs> right. define and understand. <laughs> it's like, okay, well. Billy didn't even try to like, maybe, I don't know. Maybe it's creeping up on midnight. I should, he didn't even hedge his bets. He was like, ah, I'm going to give them this plate full of chicken wings that was sitting unwrapped in the refrigerator. Like dad, oh dad didn't put any cellophane, didn't put any, you know, aluminum foil. No, nope. it is just a stack of wings. He doesn't even microwave them and we know they've got a microwave. <laughs> oh yeah, they do. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. My other big, uh, nit to pick with this movie and again you know it's meant to be humorous so whatever but i love how the gremlins have been gremlins for like two hours like two hours right i mean it is not long but they have already learned every single of the most self-destructive human behaviors known to man including breakdancing like what <laughs> they have they they are, they are using guns yeah they are gambling they are drinking to excess. They are smoking and they are breakdancing. How did yep. you even learn all of this? Yeah. Like yep. what? How did what? I, it's not like the Matrix. They didn't just plug in and whoa, I know Kung Fu. You know, these gremlins <laughs> just know. And it's, and it's purely just the bad things. Like, yeah. Oh, they know yeah. how to drive. They know how to drive. <laughs> how does this happen? Like, it's true. It's not like you, you really don't even see like, the one runt gremlin who's trying to do the good things. You know what I mean? Like who's actually trying to bake the apple pie for the neighbor <laughs> or, you know, like, like, like they, they cross dress, 
you know? The, like, oh, yeah. Oh, come yeah. On. Oh, yeah. They, <laughs> they talk in the theater while the movie's going? Like, that, these that's are the terrible worst. creatures. That's the worst offense. <laughs> firing the gun. Firing the gun. I can understand. But they talk while the movie is playing. That is yes, unacceptable. Yes. Utterly unacceptable. Granted, they do kind of sing, they do kind of sing along. So that's fun. Well, and you haven't even, okay. We haven't even gotten into probably for good reason how amped up this is. Have you ever seen? Gremlins 2, the new batch. <laughs> the new batch. Have you ever Again, seen this? Again, it's been years. Oh, my I, I, goodness. I, I honestly wouldn't mind rewatching it. It's been years. I do know. It's all I know. Well, let me rephrase it this way. All I remember of Gremlins 2 is something corporate. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Don't they like run a comp? Do they run a company or something? No. Well, <laughs> well, what happens is they run loose in a company because a company gets hold of, of, uh, Gizmo and, you know, uh, mayhem ensues once again. Basically, this corporate takeover happens right near where, um, the, the, the old Chinaman, goodness, I'm forgetting his name right now, but, uh, <laughs> I think that is his name. It's That's just, his name. It's just old the Chinaman. old Chinaman. Um, but like, uh, no, I'm going to look this up because I'm going to feel so stupid if that's not, uh, oh, as I'm looking this up. But basically the premise of, of, uh, oh, he's Mr. Wing. <laughs> that's him. Mr. Wing. <laughs> that's, that is much better. It's, that yes. is a much better yes. name. So, um, um, so basically like this corporate takeover. Neither is- of those names. Neither of those character names are racist at all. No, 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 no. <laughs> My apologies to any Asian listeners, uh, Asian or Asian American who are, who are listening to, to. No, 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 no. Steven Spielberg's apologies. Oh, yes. No Dante's <laughs> apologies to yes. any Asian listeners. That's today. true. That's true. That's a good point. Um, but yeah, so like. <laughs> What happens in Gremlins 2, the new batch, is this corporation is is edging into Mr. Wing's territory. They're edging into his property, and he won't sell. And, of course, you know, uh, I forget the particulars of this because it has actually been a couple of years since I saw well, it. Well, at that point in the timeline, he's become a big-time chicken wing salesman. Is that right? This the listeners, uh, those of you who enjoyed it follows, uh, buckle up because, because <laughs> here, uh, here, here, here we go again. Um, but no, like, so what happens is, is that like, so then, uh, Gizmo comes into, cause Billy, uh, inexplicably works for this corporation. And so then, you know, he's prone to bring pets to work. And, uh, <laughs> so he brings, he bring, as you do, yeah, as you do. And so he brings Gizmo. I forget how he runs aground of him again, but he, he brings Gizmo into this corporation. And of course he gets wet. Of course they, they eat after midnight and then they run amok of this corporation. But the difference there is there's a lab with all of these different, like you have the big spider gremlin, you have, uh, the female oh, yeah. gremlin, you have my favorite, the brain gremlin who actually is articulate and can, and can speak, uh, eloquently about a variety of things. So, Gremlins 2, the new batch, is its own special breed of fun. I would have to watch it again, like, immediately to know how well it holds up. But uh, but I remember having a lot of fun. And I think that Joe Dante has gone on record as saying that he enjoys Gremlins 2 more than Gremlins 1. Interesting. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, I mean, I knew Gremlins 1 is... I, I don't even have to rewatch Gremlins 2 to say that I think Gremlins 1 is unquestionably a better film. But, uh, but yeah, it, Gremlins 2 is still quite a bit of fun i think uh, at least my memory tells me it is so um i have a couple of uh brief little uh notes before we move in before we move on so i don't know if you knew that howie mandel voices gizmo yes um, I did see that. which is a lot of fun i don't know if you knew that tim burton was almost the director 
of Gremlins. I, I could easily see that. Yeah, Spielberg actually wanted him, but at the time, Burton had not helmed a feature film. And so he wanted someone who had a little bit more experience. And, uh, I think because of the howling, he, he really responded to Joe Dante. And so he, uh, so he hired him for this. I also wanted to shout out to Chuck Jones, the, uh, famed animator, uh, of, uh, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. He makes a cameo in the bar talking to Billy there. And also Spielberg himself makes a cameo at the Inventors Convention as a man in a wheelchair. Uh, so a couple of little fun uh, Easter eggs to note. Uh, one last one in that regard before I get to my major dislike. There's a cameo by, for those of you who love Breaking Bad and later Better Call Saul, one Jonathan Banks, you may not, you may not have noticed that he is the young deputy. Uh, Jonathan Banks is the deputy in the, uh, in wow. the sheriff's department. Um, just a wow. couple of lines. I did not notice that. But, uh, but yeah, good old, good old Jonathan Banks there long before he became a hitman, uh, for, uh, for our good friend Walter White. But my major dislike of this film, cause there's a lot to love. I mean, this film has, it's got this classic monster movie formula. You can tell, as I mentioned earlier, that they are fond of of classic film. And this has your standard, you know, idyllic setting. Someone carelessly breaks some rules or carelessly handles some volatile thing and then unleashes a monster. Uh, that's that's a very uh, formulaic way to approach a monster story and a, and a formula that still works. I, mean, I think it works really, really well. I think it even still works today, although today people would call it out as formulaic. I think it would still tell a good story. But my major dislike, which I think is is pretty controversial, and I think listeners may already know since this is the first time we're mentioning it. So poor old Kate, she already knows, listeners, spoiler alert for life, that, that Santa Claus, as much as we wish were true, is uh, Santa Claus is not real. And, uh, and unfortunately, fact he's dead. the way that Kate found it out <laughs> is one of the most horrific things in this film. Like, period. This is one of the, 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 all of the gremlins running amok cannot hold a candle to the horror of, <laughs> of her dad trapped in the chimney for four or five days. And that that's how, because he was coming down dressed as Santa with arms full of presents. And that's how she found out that there's no Santa Claus. And that's also why she does not celebrate Christmas. Um, that, that scene. So here's what I read about that scene. I read that nobody except Joe Dante liked that scene. Like nobody liked it. Spielberg didn't like it. He was just Spielberg and to his. Like you've actually read, like, like, are you speculating that or you're saying you've seen that? I have seen that. Stated. Yeah. I have seen the statement in okay. trivial, you know, tidbits that nobody liked that scene and that that scene was pretty controversial. But Joe Dante wanted it so bad because he said it exemplified what the whole movie was, which was a mix of silly and horrific elements in the same thing sure. that it's simultaneously sure. silly and horrific. And he said, that's what this whole movie is. It's silly and it's horrific. And um, so that's why he fought to have it continue to stay in there. One thing that I do remember that Gremlins 2 does very, very well is it makes fun of that scene because there's a oh, moment really? in the movie theater where the Gremlins are back in the movie theater still talking, but unfortunately they're talking and throwing popcorn at that scene from the first Gremlins movie. That's um, funny. And, uh, and so yeah, it's, it, but that is my major beef with this movie. I think that scene is 
I, I, it's, it, it's just so strange to me. It does not quite fit into any category that I would ever describe of, of good storytelling or logic I, or anything. I'm surprised. I'm surprised. I'm truthfully, you, uh, listeners may pick up at this point that you and I tend to debrief or pre-brief, however you want to say pre-brief, it. Pre-brief, uh, I would call it. Yeah. Pre-brief, pre-brief. <laughs> Uh, our thoughts on our content before we record it. And we did not do this with gremlins, but, um, I am surprised that that gives you such a stumbling block because I don't know when I watched it again, having not seen the movie in years and years and years and years and years, I didn't remember all the minutia. And I thought it was, I thought it was exactly what you just said. It's horrific and it's hysterical. Like hmm. I couldn't, I couldn't like you sort of want to take it seriously and yet it begs to not be taken seriously. Right. Um, and I'm impressed they made it through. She made it through that monologue one full time without cracking up. Mm -hmm. Um, because yeah, I don't know. I think that's, um, I mean, I, I could sort of see a case to be made for its exclusion, but it, it really didn't trouble me. It stood out, but it sure. didn't trouble me. Yeah, sure. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, overall, obviously, uh, that, that's, Probably the only thing I dislike about the film, as much as I deeply dislike it. Honestly, I, I think this film, I commented to myself at least four or five times as I'm watching it. Every single time I watch it, I'm like, man, I forget how much I love this movie. This movie is so fun and I enjoy it. So I have much. this image of you watching Gremlins or any movie, really, and interspersed over the course of an hour and a half, just occasionally pausing it and just saying to the room. Man, I forgot how much I love this movie. That's a fun image for me <laughs> to think about. Well, I used to say it to my wife until she realized that I would say it anyway. So she just started walking out of the room. She, she would just, she, oh. you know, if, if she's in the room and we're watching it together, she humors me. She, she tells yep. me, you know, she's, she's like, yes, honey. Yes. Okay. Can we, can we get back to the movie now? But, uh, no, you're right. I, I do it, uh, either way. I will say it to anybody if I'm happen to be walking down the street. Or, uh, you know, and happen to be watching a movie on my phone or something, which would be a very dangerous thing to do. But were I doing that sure. and passed someone, I would easily pause and say, man, Gremlins is a great movie. And <laughs> don't you just love Gremlins? I'm that guy that everybody's like, okay, please quickly get away from this man. On that, on that note, let's, uh, let's talk about. So you made the good point that there's not a whole lot scary in it, though. I would say the kitchen as Gremlin war zone oh, yeah. is a bit. Horrific, but I actually wanted to, and I should have given you the heads up so that you could have some thoughts on this too, but maybe you can conjure some. Uh, I specifically took a few notes of just like the darkly comic bits that I thought really worked well. Um, I mean, I think it's hysterical that at the YMCA, when Stripe jumps in the pool that he holds his nose. Yes. I mean, it's like, <laughs> what a fantastic touch. I mean, like that is perfect. Oh, um, gosh, yeah. One of those things that just does not even. Like it took, like, like they intentionally thought, wouldn't this be funny? You mm -hmm. know? Oh yeah. Like, oh, yeah. cause, cause who would ever even think about that? Well, how is he going to breathe? Like, it doesn't matter. Right. He just holds his, he holds his nose. He holds his nose. <laughs> um, I have to interject very briefly because stripe jumping into the pool is my favorite moment in the entire film. I don't know why. Uh, there's, you mean just the whole, the, the, like the scene itself, like the bubbling and the, yeah, the scene itself. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. Yeah. I think the whole scene itself, uh, the minute details are great, but I think, I think as a, 
as escalating the threat and as a as a sure, uh, sure. you know raising the stakes that is i think it's it's just perfect like you know you already seen what getting them wet can do with just like a drop suddenly here he jumps into this pool you're like oh man there he comes all hell's about to break loose on this poor little town and like you said touches like that like him holding his nose it's just it's just a great moment from a storytelling perspective executed very well um you know just the the Billy sees it and then just runs out and he's like, I got to get the authorities, you know, like that's what he's clearly thinking. And, uh, and I got to go get Jonathan Banks. I got to go get Jonathan Banks. Better call Saul. So then, um, better call Saul. (laughs) (laughs) But so at any rate, like that, that I think is just my favorite moment in the film because I remember thinking every time that I watch it that, uh, (laughs) and then saying to the room and then saying to the room, like, man, that's my favorite moment in this movie. Isn't it? Isn't it yours? And of course, you know, the room doesn't answer yet, but when it starts, when it starts, it might be time to, uh, to, oh, trust to me. mix the, you know, the technology is getting there. <laughs> right, right. But no, I, uh, not to derail what else, whatever else you might have to say, but I just had to interject. That's my favorite moment in the movie. I love that movie. I love that moment so much. Well, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I was just, uh, noting some of the darkly comic bits. I mean, I love the carolers, you know, <laughs> who, who show up. I mean, just again, now, see, I guess, I guess you could make the argument that maybe those were the, um, they defied the status, the gremlin status quo and wanted to just do some good, you know, just sing some, sing some Christmas tunes that they learned in an hour. Sure. Somehow. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, they're, they're quick and, learners. Yeah. Clearly. I don't know. And this was before the internet too. Yeah. I don't even know how you do it. <laughs> um, <laughs> and to add to the earlier list of debaucherous acts that these gremlins learn rather quickly and start start performing just as quickly is the flasher gremlin you know oh my gosh <laughs> the flasher he just, he just shows his stuff you know oh my god the world know yeah it's well and he's it's, here it's it's funny too like the the original so you're talking about and i think the whole film is it's creepy moments are also mostly silly and mostly comic but the original script was evidently much much darker like the original script, I think, was much more straightforward horror, including not only the death, but the decapitation of Billy's mother. What? Yes. The uh, uh, Mr. Futterman. At the hands of Corey Feldman. <laughs> sure. Um, <laughs> I don't know that. But um, also, uh, Mr. Futterman uh, died in the original script. And those who. Which one was he? Uh, Mr. Futterman was the next, the, the neighbor, the one who leaves. He's the one who calls them gremlins. He's the one who's the, there are real gremlins in my truck. And, gotcha. uh, you know, so, um, and then also uh, those who, who we assume did die, Mrs. Deagle and Mr. Hanson, the science teacher, uh, their deaths were much more graphic in the original script. Um, but I don't know. I think, I think Miss Deagle survived that. You think she did? Cause that, no, I, I, <laughs> I was about to say, I was like, no, please tell me that because they even say in the, in the, um, newscast at the end they're like well you know the passing of mrs deagle may enter a new era of like relief for all these people who were you know under the thumb i don't know the exact words but they actually referenced that in the newscast ever was like well one good thing to come out of this is that uh, mrs deagle is dead but uh which old witch the wicked <laughs> exactly yeah exactly right. um but uh but i mean and yeah i don't find the gremlins to be scary but but they're definitely a little creepy like i you know i i just they have this devilish oh, design creature design oh yeah yeah. yeah. And and it's fascinating too because they they look like they could be and this you know might be unless you had some other specific moments to reference this actually might be a lead into some theme 
because they look like, from a creature design perspective, like they genuinely could have been the evil, dark version of the little Mogwai. Like they, 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 the Mogwai itself is such a specific character design. And then the gremlins are a specific character design. But if you, if you said like, okay, well, this is the, the cute, cuddly, light version of this. And this gremlin thing is the, you know, the butterfly to this caterpillar. It, they look so similar, but yet are so, so distinct from one another. I think I, I just, I, mean, think, I don't think the butterfly analogy for the gremlin is a great one. I mean, yeah, that's a good know, point. Cause the butterfly is like an improvement. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> but, but I mean, I do, uh, my point being that just like, like the, the, the gremlin itself does look, it is really brilliant character design because they look like they could have come from the Mogwai, but they are them, they are distinctly themselves. Sure. Um, yeah. And well, yeah. actually the last thing before the theme would, that plays into that, I will say something that again, is it, is it horror? I think it's definitely horrific is honestly Spike's death. I mean, that's disgusting. Yeah. Yeah. Spike's death is definitely gruesome. That's, that's pretty horrific. Well, and also to note on Spike's death and, and again, like we're, we're dancing onto some things that maybe we'll, we'll talk about more from a thematic perspective, but it was interesting because I think in the original script, it is Billy who pulls the, the shade and lets the light in to kill him. It was specifically Spielberg's choice, um, a note to Dante to let Gizmo do it. Because Spielberg said that he saw Gizmo as the hero of the film and not Bi- Billy, that he saw Gizmo as the one who's really the, you know, kind of the one who needs to save the day. Uh, he said some of that was tied into he thinks he thought that audiences would really respond to the Gizmo character and want toys and all that other kind of stuff. But he said, you know, just in general, because in the original script, there was no Spike. Gizmo, the Mogwai, becomes Spike the Gremlin. And so Spiel, one of Spielberg's changes to the script was to was to say, like, no, we need a an anchor among the little Mogwai characters that that is good hearted and good natured, etc. Sure. Um, and so hence we have Gizmo. And you could see, like you can see it when when he when all the rest of the Grim or the rest of the little Mogwai are bouncing up and down begging for chicken at, you know, two thirty in the morning. He offers He's the responsible one. Yeah, he offers some to Mogwai, and Mogwai's like, "No, I'm the designated driver. I'm good." He's, he's like, "I'm good. <laughs> yeah. I'm good." And he just and, now you know, just have oh. you looked at the time, Billy? Have you checked the time? Exactly. Okay. Oh, if only he could. If only he could have understood. It's funny, right? It's funny you say the intentionality of Billy versus Mogwai uh, versus Gizmo saving the day because even watching it last night, I was like, "Man, Billy's a chump." Like <laughs> he, I mean, he's really irresponsible. I mean, bless his heart, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. You know, dad. Bathroom is- buddy, man. The bathroom buddy. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. I mean, I love how it's like, there, there are no questions being asked. Like, oh, I see this strange creature in this pet shop. I've got to have that for my kid. And clearly it's tough economic times, but I'm willing to shell out $200 for it. And then Billy's like, ah, yeah, it feels like 2 a.m., but oh, what do you know? It's actually 1145. They're good to eat a whole plate full of chicken. And then in the big climax with Spike, he is just getting his tail kicked. Yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah. He gets like Chewbacca crossbowed, you know, <laughs> and <laughs> and then he just watches, 
He's like, I'm not going to do anything. Well, yeah. And Gizmo I'm, show up and save the day. And, and I'm sorry. If you're holding a baseball bat versus a chainsaw, I'm not, I don't like those odds. Right. Right. I'm amazed he survived that. I'm amazed. Like that's, that's some special wood I, because I that chainsaw was going at yes. it and all it's doing is like chipping away. And I kept thinking like, is it an aluminum bat? Clearly you've never played baseball. No, I've never played baseball. <laughs> Just kidding. This is like, we're, we're equally non-sports, uh, you know, knowledgeable. So I don't know. I thought the same thing. I was like, that's like a piece of balsa wood going up against that chainsaw. I know. I'm like, aren't chainsaws <laughs> supposed to cut down trees? Like, isn't that part of what they do? And yet, and yet it's really not. So evidently this is a child's chainsaw, which is completely, you know, that's a frightening sure, idea. You know, or it's the one you give your kid. Yeah. Or it is Superman's baseball bat. Like, I mean, it's, it's just really, sure. uh, that whole sequence. I was like, what? Either way, I want to shop at that store. Yes. Cause that store seems fun, <laughs> especially oh, on that geez. night. But like, yeah, it's funny because I, I think it, going back a little bit to the whole like gizmo saves the day. They, they kind of, they came from Gizmo. There's so much that could be explored there. And to be honest with you, some of these, some of these themes I'm going to feel a bit deficient in because I can kind of see the echoes of it, but it's not completely clear to me exactly how they, how they translate out. But there's this whole notion of obviously he, 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 he gets wet. That's not his fault. And then what, what, Corey Feldman. I know, right? Ah, uh, and, and what was the, uh, oh, it's a, a paintbrush set. That's right. That's why there's water in it. So, um, at any rate, like, uh, you know, Gizmo is very, is very responsible. He doesn't eat after midnight. He doesn't want to, he doesn't do the thing that's going to transform him into, cause clearly the Mogwais want to be gremlins. That's, that's the element that I found really interesting is that the, these little mogwais, that's why they want to eat after midnight. They want to be gremlins. They prefer this, uh, this darker thing. You know, they are moderately bigger. Well, yeah, they're about two or three times the size of a regular mogwai. So that, so they're definitely bigger, but otherwise there's no discernible, uh, you know, other than physical appearance, there's no discernible skill set that the gremlins have that the mogwais don't necessarily have. But for some odd reason, the mogwais conversations, conversations I never thought I'd be a part of, you know, <laughs> Welcome like, to it's the like, fear of God. it's like, do you want an, do you want an opposable thumb or not? Like, well, I mean, opposable thumb opens up a whole slew of skill sets that might not have been available to me beforehand. It's, well, yeah. Do you want to be a mogwai or do you want to be a gremlin? Or do you want to be a gremlin? You know, it's true. I'm taller. (laughs) I've got sharper teeth. I've got all the world's knowledge of debaucherous activities. Yes. Immediately. You know, immediately (laughs) present to me. Like now I can gamble. I really just want to eat after midnight because now I can gamble. (laughs) That's the real point. Um, Yes. And so like, but it's, it's interesting to me because, you know, there's, there's a couple of things that we could talk about. I'll, uh, I'll mention a couple of my broad stroke themes and then invite you to to just let me know what you think about it. And if you have any, I'd welcome them as well. But I think the first thing is let's 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 deal with the rules. We'll come back to the light versus dark thing. Let's deal with the rules. So we've already we've already kind of taken the rules to task for uh there's really no explanation given for that that third rule of the consequence. There's no delineation. But there's an idea present in matters of faith. And many people still approach faith in this pattern, in this way, to where it doesn't really matter if the rules make sense, breaking them causes trouble. It doesn't even really matter if the rules are logical, but, you know, transgressing them unleashes something bad. 
And the rules make no logical sense, but that doesn't change the fact that there are consequences for breaking those rules, and those consequences happen. And I found that to be very interesting. I think there's two things that happen. Number one, there's a lot of pressure around certain mandates that we hear, hey, this is this is a good way to be, or the, uh, scriptural commands or, or scriptural compulsions. This is the way that you ought to be in the world. And then we're like, well, that doesn't seem to make much logical sense. That seems a little outdated, or that seems like it's not quite, uh, not quite relevant anymore. I found it interesting to look at it from that perspective and say, well, okay, maybe that's true, but how many of those things do we sort of dismiss in a cavalier manner? Uh, does that really, <laughs> does that really mean we won't necessarily suffer the natural consequences for transgressing or trans uh, or uh, dismissing that rule wholeheartedly. And the second thing, uh, the second thing on that is this idea that the rules are there in the Mogwai world because of what the, the Mogwai's physiology is. You know, the, the, it's something related to, obviously, you get us wet, we don't multiply. That would be really freaky and creepy. <laughs> um, you feed us after midnight, we don't transform. Um, so. Well, if you eat enough after midnights in a row, I mean, you're going to, you're going to gain some weight. It's gradual. It's a gradual <laughs> yes, transformation. It's not immediate. Oh my gosh. But the, the, the thing that I find interesting about it is, so basically, yeah, that, that dismissing the rules doesn't change the consequences. That's my first theme. Dismissing the rules does not mean that you can dismiss the consequences. And secondly, that the rules don't need to be based in logic because what they're based upon is the, the gremlins, uh, physiology, their biology, their design. Like the way these, these mogwai are is why the rules are in place is because of how, of what their nature is. That's why the rules are what they are. Um, and it's not the same for, human beings, or it's not the same for a dog, or it's not the same for another pet, that, that you know, this mogwai carries with it a certain degree of responsibility that is attached to these rules, and the consequences that come after that don't necessarily need to make logical sense. And I just found that very interesting uh, when we're looking at subjects of faith and things that we consider to be sort of um, outdated rules or illogical rules or things that we don't necessarily uh, adhere to anymore. And I just found it interesting as a discussion starter. Do you have any general thoughts on that or is that just me? Uh, yeah, I think that, um, I didn't totally grasp the connection you were making between the rules and the physiology, but I understand, I think the point you're trying to make, I'm going to piggyback on that. So I do think it's interesting and never until you're sort of shaking the tree of this conversation, would I have said, what an interesting movie for faithfulness conversation starting. But I think the rules are an interesting component of that and how in the American evangelical church, we want so desperately for there to be this universal set of rules. Like, like we just I need this to be true. I need you to not vote Democrat because that means you're for killing babies. I need you to not vote Republican because that means you hate, you know, uh, minorities. You know what I mean? Like we, we need right. these rules to help govern our, our coming and going. And, and what's interesting about the movie and applying this in sort of this evangelical conversation, what's interesting about the movie is when you break the second you break the rules, you are now a gun toting, smoking, drinking, gambling breakdancer who flashes people. The, and I'm making a joke there, but the point <laughs> I'm really right. trying to make is like, 
this is how we operate in the world as believers sometimes. Like, right. wait a minute, right. you broke the rule? Oh, gosh, you are now all of these things put together. Right, right. And, you know, whether it's age or life experience, of which at varying points one seems greater than the other, I feel like it matters that Paul says all things are permissible but not all beneficial. Mm-hmm. And as as scared as we want to be sometimes of this notion, I think a way to interpret that is what is okay for me might not be okay for you and vice versa. And that is not an indictment or or somehow make your the richness of your faith less than mine or vice versa. Right. Does that make right. sense? Um, yeah, I think it definitely does. You, you know, we, we, we want so badly for that one broken rule to represent, like we, there's this part of us that needs that to be, okay, now you can be ostracized because you don't fit my bubble anymore. You don't fit the mold I need in order to make the world make sense to me. Right. You know, and if, and, and even hearkening back to our cabin in the woods conversation, like, I think if anything, what would do us all a world of good as believers is to just say the law is dead and never served any purpose. The law, the rules, you know, the system, you know, I don't know if that's exactly the tree you were barking up, but you know, that's what's sort of coming to me as you're talking about the nature of the rules. And, and yes, in the context of the movie, there's a very specific and unique physiological reaction that happens when you do break the rules. But again, applying that in a more, you know, theoretical kind of faith context, I think, man, we want so bad to view all of those who consider themselves in the church as the cuddly, the lovable, the adorable little mogwai. And somehow when someone breaks the rule that we've interpreted, because <laughs> I mean, come on, you know, are you really avoiding shellfish? Um, are you really avoiding pork? Like, you know, we are so cut and paste with the rules we want to follow and make most important and the rules that we don't. Right. And so, you know, there's, there crops up this, this unspoken and sometimes in the most unhealthy of ways spoken system of behavior that we operate under in our church and Christian settings. I'm kind of just running, running off at the mouth. I don't know if that's any of what you're talking about. Yeah, it is. There's a, so there's a term that is, is used for that kind of living that happens, uh, where some rules are given higher priority than other rules. Um, and, Breaking one of the, the no fly zone rules is, uh, seen as the ultimate in transgressions and that's legalism. So sure. the idea of a legalist way of navigating through your faith is saying that, and essentially one of the things that one of the tenets of legalism is, as we've mentioned before, I think might have been in the cabin in the woods, uh, episode, but, uh, one of the staples of legalism is it trusts adherence to the rules to save it more than the saving work of Jesus Christ. It trusts being able to follow the rules and being able to line in lockstep with what the rules tell you to do and not to do. You, you touched on something there that, that I want to address for just a brief moment. You said something and I can't remember exactly how you said it, but you were scratching up against the notion of that, that there's differences between you and I, and there's differences between us and other people in terms of how certain rules affect us or not. Uh, Paul says, you know, all things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial. And I think that 
I had a conversation once where I was talking about, because the very fact that we're sitting here talking about, and of course, Gremlins is more palatable than some of the other things we've talked about before, but the fact that our show is based entirely around examining the horror genre, um, there are people who feel like the horror genre is a no-fly zone for people of faith, that sure, you can't even sure. engage with it. And one of the conversations I had with someone, a uh, very fruitful and, and very robust conversation, uh, I was at a convention once and and was having a conversation with someone about this notion of like, hey, you know, sometimes you have to be cautious and there are certain other things where your system makes it more palatable for you to engage with this type of material. And they told me in a very respectful manner, they said, may I just ask you to clarify a little bit because what it sounds like you're saying is a little bit of relativism, which would be basically like, oh, well, the rules don't necessarily apply to me as they apply to you. And what I told them is I said, that's a very good distinction to make, but it's not what I'm saying. Um, I'm talking about liberty within the body to function as you are specifically designed to function and to stay away from what you are specifically designed to stay away from because it will hurt you. And, and what relativism is, relativism means that you hold the standard for what you can and can't do. Relativism means like, okay, my experience tells me what I am and I'm not allowed to engage with as a person of faith. And relativism is a very dangerous idea. So is legalism, where legalism looks at the law and says, well, the law says no, so no. The difference there and what I think is is important is I think what you need is you need a relationship with Jesus Christ. Like, I think you need an ongoing, listening, obedient, continually growing, continually learning vibrant relationship with the Lord. And if you have that, then I think you will understand more certain things of like, okay, part of what I am, dis like we talked about, the physiology of, of the Mogwai is what makes these rules necessary, is that if they get wet, they will multiply. If they get in sunlight, they will die. If they eat after midnight, Eastern Standard Time, then they're going to, <laughs> you know, then they're going to turn into gremlins. And, you know, hopping right off the joke, the, the, the reason for the rules is because of the effect that it will have on them. And I think a lot of times um, we can approach faith or approach commandments and say, like, well, you know, why can't I engage with this? Why can't I go do that? Why can't I go do this thing? Why is this? Why can't this thing be OK? And I feel like, again, this is me imposing my thoughts onto a divine and holy God, which is a dangerous thing to do. But one of the things that I think is, I think if God were to respond to us, we say, why can't I do this? Why can't I do that? Why can't I do this other thing? Is the same thing that he said to Adam and Eve, the day you eat that, you'll die. Now, they had a different understanding. Oh, okay. I didn't intend to go into this, but I'm going to briefly go into this. What the scripture says is that God told Adam and Eve, the day you would eat the fruit, that's the day you're going to die. The serpent told them, you will not die. You'll be like God. They ate the fruit, and the scripture says that when they ate the fruit, their eyes were opened. That's what the text of the scripture says. And if we're unpacking that a little bit, I'm going to explore an idea for just 30 to 45 seconds here. To me, obviously, they didn't drop dead. They didn't just keel over. Um, but what I wonder about in that context is when it says their eyes were opened, Clearly, an irrevocable effect took place once they ate the fruit that they were not supposed to eat. Something died, and I think that something was who they were really always intended to be, which was in full, complete relationship with God, and that died. 
Because then their eyes were opened and now suddenly shame comes into the picture. Now suddenly they're running around trying to hide. Now they're trying to, to clothe themselves with the, the leaves of the trees because they can't bear to be in the presence of God anymore. That relationship that they were always designed to enjoy now dies. And I read somewhere, I, although I, I forget where because I didn't expect to talk about this or I would have looked it up. But I read somewhere there was a theologian who said, um, that what changes when we sin is our perspective about our relationship with God. That when we sin, it distances us from what we know to be true about how God feels about us. It distances us from what we know to be true about His love for us. And it suddenly creates a barrier and creates a divide where we can't experience that love in its fullness anymore. And essentially, our eyes are changed. Our perspective is changed whenever we engage with sin. And I think, although we're dropping so many grenades into so many backpacks, it's not even funny. <laughs> um, what I would say as sort of a bow or a button on that is I think, I think this is true. I think that the commandments that God has given to us individually, the commandments that God has given to us as a whole, as a people, as a body, as human beings, I think those commandments, I think the commandments that are given to us are given to us because if we break them, things will change for us, not necessarily in a way that we will immediately be repulsed by, but in a way that will be damaging and harmful to us, that if we do not do as God says for us to do, it doesn't mean that he doesn't love us, and it doesn't mean that he doesn't still reach reach forward to us for redemption and for reconciliation. But when we do these things, we will, as, I mean, the gremlins can't go back to being mogwais. They are forever now this other thing. Regardless of their behavior, they now are, they are now gremlins. And I think that it's an interesting note to just take a step back and say, wait a minute, God says I'm allowed to do this. Like, he gives me the choice, just like Adam and Eve had the choice to go up and eat the fruit in the Garden of Eden. But if I do this, as we talked about with It Follows and as we touched on with Cabin in the Woods, we've, we've touched up against this a couple of times, that if you do this, there may come a moment that is forever changed after this decision, after this, uh, this, this transgressing of the rules. Um, does, that, does that make sense? That was a long diatribe as well. Yes, it does make sense. I, I do want to nuance it in your, um, or nuance it in, in my way, um, not as in you meant to say this, but, you know, feel free to push back to this too. So I do, I do want to <clears throat> suggest from my perspective that while I'm not a believer in relativism in the sense that, you know, we just, our, our, our feelings and, and our intuition purely determines all of our behavior and, and what is righteous and not, I do think and, and how I would sort of conduct myself in the world as a person of faith is there's, is if we're going to use the movie context, I'm going to go one step further and say, which again, you, you might agree with here that in the context of the movie's terms, we can go back to being Mogwai, meaning I don't think there's an irredeemable action. I don't think there's an irredeemable mode of operating in the world. I don't think there's a choice you can make. You know, this is, it's funny that this is coming up because I don't know if you saw this just this week or it may have been the, the week before Thanksgiving, but just, you know, in the last short time, um, the Pope who I am not historically Catholic, but I've grown deeply, uh, appreciative of this current Pope. And in fact, read his book, it's called the name of God is mercy. And it's just beautiful. The Pope just issued and uh, forgive me, Catholic listeners. I don't 
really know all the terminology, but basically what he says is now, uh, priests have the, have papal permission to forgive abortion, oh, which wow. apparently previously wasn't, was you, you were not as a Catholic priest allowed to grant forgiveness for this. And I think, I think, you know, not at all intending to unpack a, an abortion conversation, but the point is something that the church often views as this terrible, irredeemable thing. There's something very powerful to me about this particular person who, whether you agree with it or not, by many of the world is viewed as a mouthpiece for Yahweh, mm. uh, saying there is nothing that cannot be forgiven, you know, and nothing that is beyond redemption should you have in the past uh, chosen to uh, act on, you know, you know what I'm saying? Oh, like, yeah, yeah. again, I, I, I don't think, I don't think you are saying, oh, there, there is a change that comes and you will never, uh, be, uh, welcomed at the table, at the, at the table. But I do think that's worth for me personally. And on this relativism conversation, on this rules conversation, you and I often, uh, though it hasn't been said in a while for listeners, let it be said that receive these things as from Nathan and Reed uh, in conversation, not necessarily issuing theological doctrine here, but, but I do think we also at the same time speak from positions of passion on these issues. Um, I do think a lot of Jesus's work and, and existence was to say, uh, here a little bit of nuance here that there are no rules mm-hmm. that the law, the law didn't and doesn't work. The system didn't and doesn't work. And, and so in this relativism, point you bring up, I think for me, and you brushed up against this, there's an important distinction of, well, we all determine our own righteousness and not in how we behave. No, I do think the, the, that still small voice uh, inside you, that is the Lord, that, that indwelling of the spirit that you are in relation with that community for those who have it of, of either a church or, uh, you know, faithful people who commit to, you know, your own accountability and likewise, your discernment and, and pursuit of discernment of the work of the spirit in the world, all of these things nuance the fact that I would say there are quote unquote, no rules. Does that make sense at all? It does. Um, I would, I, I would say like, I would, I would kind of, I, I'm going to use the word nuance, but I, I think I would actually moderately disagree with the language choice there. Although I think I know what you're saying. The so so uh, listeners, particularly those who are a bit more deeply orthodox in their thinking, are probably going to start balking and say, "Like wait, 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 wait." Jesus said that not one jot or tittle of the law or the prophets was going to disappear, but he came to fulfill it. That he didn't come to abolish it. I, I don't think that's what you're saying, and I don't think that right. I don't think that you're saying, "Hey, Jesus came to get rid of the 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 law, or the game to get rid of the rules." I don't think he did that, and I don't think you're saying that. Here's what I do agree with, and you can tell me if I'm right or not in understanding your point. I think we touched on this in the cabin in the woods conversation that the nature of God didn't change, the law didn't change, what's right and wrong didn't change, but what did permanently change when Christ came and completed His work is the way that we relate to God. And the way that we have access to the presence of God and the way that we navigate through our life as a faithful life with God completely changed. And in that regard, 
even Paul says, hey, you know, before we had the law, now we're under grace. And he says, we're not under law, which is what I think you're you're scratching at when you say, sure. like, you know, there's yeah, no rules. Yeah, yeah. That it's like, well, before we were under the law, and the law did serve a purpose. And it revealed, it revealed sin, and it gave a pathway for a sinful people to live with a holy God. But now we have Christ and his work. And because of that, the game has forever changed. Not that it's a game, but you know what I mean. Like the, the, sure. the, the rules have forever changed. Like now it's a completely well, I different think, thing. I think, yeah. And who knew the gremlins would lead to this, but, uh, and hey, it's, it's Christmas, you know, so here we are. But like, I think the point I'm trying to make is there is and can be value in rules and law and systems. There is no at all redemption in rules and laws and systems. Yes. Right. You know, there can be value in the sense that it helps you sort of live a certain way and have all that. The problem becomes, and this is the problem that exists in our American church culture, is when the rule and law and system is how we judge faithfulness and righteousness. Right. I do think that exists. I do think that trend and that phenomenon is very real because you and I would say this. I mean, think about it this way. Like, like the, the, the Christians who would say, if you say a cuss word, well, there you go. You're done. The right. rule says no cussing. However you want it, which I don't think it actually says that, but right. you know what I'm saying? No. Yeah. Exactly. You know, that person, that person can hold that in their sort of system of understanding God and faith and people. And I would say, no, I, I don't agree with that. And I don't think I'm wrong. I don't necessarily, it would be strong to say, I think you're wrong, but it would be less, it would be more gracious of me to say, that's your sort of view. But, right. but the view, the view of viewing a cuss word, uh, and on up and down the list of degrees of, you know, behavior, right. uh, as determining of redemption, I do think is an egregious mistake. <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> on, a, on a, on a, on a deep, on a deep fundamental level. Yeah. And, uh, this, that's probably a good moment for me to, uh, introduce possibly as a final note. Cause that, uh, wow. Yeah. Gremlins, uh, inspired a lot of conversation. We're actually going a little long, but the, uh, the scripture, it's Christmas. It's Christmas. It's Christmas. Everybody, uh, bonus time, extra Christmas gift. Um, but, uh, <laughs> the scripture, verse- there's one hidden behind the tree over there. <laughs> You'll shoot your eye out though. Oh man, I love it. I love it so much. The, the scripture verse that I was going to, to institute for this, for this episode, um, I think plays in perfectly with what you're saying, what I'm saying. Uh, Romans chapter five, verse 18 through 19. We're talking about. I love when scripture backs up what I'm saying. Isn't it, isn't it fun? <laughs> isn't it great? Um, it's the best. <laughs> so, uh, but, but, you know, we're talking about this notion of, you in the context of gremlins, like mogwais become gremlins and they can't come back to being mogwais. You're right. We can go back to being mogwais, but we cannot do it by ourselves. We can't do it on our own. We can't do it simply by willing ourselves to go back to this former state. Like, like redemption had to come from somewhere and, and there was a, a, a cost, a penalty for it. In Romans chapter five, verses 18 through 19 says this. It says, consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, 
the many will be made righteous. And the, the people it's talking about, to put context there for those of you who don't know, uh, he's talking about the one man who disobeyed being Adam uh, and the one man who, you know, acted righteously being Jesus. And he's talking about, yes, that through one, all of these people were made sinners. And now, through this new thing, all of these people are made righteous again. And that's, if there is anything that we would encourage you listeners of a, a podcast about the horror genre at Christmas time, if there's anything to think about, it's that monsters can go back to being people and that, you know, that, that, uh, gremlins can go back to being mogwais in this sense and sinners can become saints. That, that is part of the gospel. That's part of the good news is that, that when Christ came, he came to undo the curse. He came to break the curse. He came to, he's like, yeah, you, God, I feel so silly saying this, but I mean it sincerely. Like in the context of gremlins, he's like, yeah, you ate a whole bunch of food after midnight, but we're going to go ahead and we're going to pump your stomach. We're going to get all this out of there. We're going to get wow. all the, all, wow. we're going to get all of this poison out of your system. And I mean, if you view sin as a toxicity, as a, a spiritual sickness, a disease, um, we're going to get it all out of your system, renew you, refresh you, um, die, reborn, start anew. And, and that is, the hope of the gospel message that's the hope of christmas and uh who knew that uh that uh that is possibly the hope of gremlins the redemption of all things including gremlins and see we're not even getting to the theme i had which was about terrorism in you know middle america oh my so, gosh you really you know. wow <laughs> yep i did i did uh that is but, impressive you know, we can, that's it's been a lengthy conversation so we'll get i'm sure i am i am positive that theme will present itself again soon in some context. I'm, so. I'm, I'm sure it will. I'm sure it will. Well, uh, one final note that I'll say that we should, you know, you, you tossed in, uh, the exorcism of Emily Rose, uh, you know, uh, you're guilty and you're free to go. I'm going to toss in just as a, a final bullet point. Uh, so sunlight hurts them. Uh, no, we don't want that for, we don't want that for Mogwais, but you hide things in the darkness. And things are going to go badly, but you bring things out into the light and... And you face melts. Your face melts. Exactly. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, everybody. <laughs> yeah, listeners, you know my point. You bring things out into the light, they can't survive. Uh, their, their face melts right off of them. You know, that's... That's what happens. Into a puddle, a puddle of gremlin goo. That's what happens when dark things hit the light. That's what happens. Is it is the a, a huge ball of gremlin goo. Oh man. Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas from the fear of God. Um, as we say every episode, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but it's not the end of the conversation. I know that, uh, you know, this conversation's run on a little lengthy. We hope you've enjoyed it and we hope that, um, the things that we've brushed up against that you've made us, uh, that, that we made you think about a few things. I want to reiterate what Nathan said, not only hear it as from us and not from the Lord, but also, uh, it's our purpose behind the show to do a lot of exploring and not necessarily explaining. Um, that's the purpose of this show is, is that we we want to explore these themes and want to explore these ideas, and we'd love for you to engage with that conversation. So you can reach out to us in a number of ways. You can, um, first of all, follow us on Twitter. Nathan, what is our Twitter handle? Uh, we are at the fear of God. You can also like us on Facebook. There's a link to that through Twitter. You can follow me on Facebook at Reed Lackey. And Nathan, where can they find you on Twitter? 
at the Nathan Rouse. You can also email us, fearofgodpodcast at gmail.com. You can go to morethanonelesson.com to make a comment on one of these posts. Um, so there's a variety of ways that you can reach out to us to let us know your thoughts on this, your thoughts on gremlins, your thoughts on Christmas, your thoughts on face melting in the light. Um, whatever, <laughs> whatever you want to tell us about, we would be, we would be happy to hear from you. If you, if you want to, uh, expound upon the differences in woods used in the making of baseball bats. Yeah. Yes. You know, yes. Absolutely. You can do that too. Inquiring minds want to know. So please, please inform us of this. Um, but sincerely, uh, all, facet- all facetiousness aside, um, we hope you guys have a very, very happy Christmas. Merry Christmas. Happy whatever holiday, uh, you are celebrating right now. Happy season to you. Uh, we sincerely mean that despite all of our, our sort of silliness. Uh, we, we hope that you are safe, that you are happy, uh, and that everything goes very, very well for you this, uh, this holiday season. So Nathan, thank you so much for, for having this conversation with me as always. Likewise. It's been fun, my friend. And we'll see you uh, next week, guys. Thank you.